We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. Hello, lovely listeners. Another week with That's What I Call Science, bringing you big ideas from the island of Tasmania. This week we're talking all things medical research as part of our mini-series celebrating the work of the Royal Hobart Hospital Research Foundation, which has been established for 25 years this year, and the fantastic contribution they have made to local medical research, but also to the lives of so many people. My name's Dr. Neve Chapman, I'm joined by our fantastic co-host Ellie Clapham and I'd like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land where we are recording, the Palo and Pakana people, as we record on Lutruwita, and also acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on where you are listening. On behalf of everyone, I pay my respects to elders past and present. So... Today we'll be talking with Joe Dickinson, who is a Principal Research Fellow at Menzies Institute for Medical Research, focused on the field of cancer genetics, which listeners, I confess, although I do medical research, I know almost nothing about it. But we will be exploring this topic with Joe, who is an expert in the area, and how our improved understanding of cancer through research impacts the lives of those affected by cancer. Ellie, please tell us a little bit more about our expert guest and the topic for today. Well, firstly, welcome, Joe. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. We're really excited about this today. So Joe's research focuses on the role of genetics in disease development and cancer progression with a particular focus on cancers of the blood and prostate. Joe received a 2022 new projects grant from the Royal Hobart Hospital Research Foundation for her study on precision medicine for men with prostate cancer. So Joe, let's start at the very beginning. What sparked your interest in health, science and medicine and what motivated you to pursue a research-centred career? Um, well, uh, I've always been interested in science and interestingly, and I hear this story uh, quite a bit, I had the most fantastic biology teacher. And when I mention this to other scientists, they say, really, did you too? And um, so I guess that sort of sparked my interest in, in science generally. And then, of course, like a lot of you know, other medical researchers, my family has been affected with um, certainly cancers. And uh, I was very fond of my grandfather who died of metastatic prostate cancer. And I guess um, that sort of sparked my interest. On top of the normal, uh, well, normal interest, I have a very strong interest in finding out new things. I'm sort of quite fascinated by science in general and questions that no one's ever answered before. I'm, that sort of excites me and I read all sorts of different things about science just because I'm really interested in what we don't know about um, the world that we live in. I love that drive for curiosity. Like it seems to be such a common motivator for some people in science, but also that how important it was for a teacher to foster that among you when you were in those formative years. Yeah, absolutely. Pat, uh, her name was Pat Stevens, and she was um, an inspiration to a lot of us at school. Yeah, that's such a beautiful story, and nice that it came from such a yeah organic place um, for you. So moving on to your research now. Your research focuses on cancer genetics. So just for the first introductory step into this topic, I'll just start off by asking what actually is genetics and how does genetics relate to cancer in your research? 
most people have an understanding of, you know, inherited basis of traits, for example, you know, colour of your eyes, you know, colour of your hair, you know, whether you're tall or short or, um, and, you know, people who look like their parents or their siblings. So our genes actually determine the way our body looks like that, but it also determines the way our body works, how well it works, how good we are at sport, for example, but it also has contributions to our susceptibility of disease. So the instructions or the genes for it that are um, contained in each of our cells, um, these instructions or genetic code um, also contains within it some susceptibilities, if you like, to disease. Certainly selection happens um, in genetics, so that's how, um, and that's evolution, but selection in genetics is largely based on survival. So if, for example, you genes will be selected against if it's critical to your survival. You might know about cystic fibrosis, mm-hmm. so for example, um, and cystic fibrosis, individuals with cystic fibrosis have a defect in a particular gene which we've known about for more than 20 years. Understanding the genetics of a cancer important or impactful on cancer research or ultimately the outcomes for those diagnosed with cancer. Cancer is essentially a disease of our genes, right? And it can be inherited. So you can actually inherit a defect in your genes. But also it can be acquired. And acquired means that cells within your body acquire genetic changes or disruption to the way in which our genes work, uh, just because of age, it can be, or it can be, which is why older, you often see cancer in older people. It can be because our protection mechanisms for maintaining our genes don't work so well. Um, It can be due to exposure to radiation, uh, exposure to toxic chemicals. For example, you know, I think everyone would be familiar with um, exposure to too much sun causes increase in um, melanoma and also other types of skin cancers. And those skin cancers do acquire a genetic mutation. They're not necessarily inherited. They can be, but they often acquire those mutations just because the sun damages the DNA. Joe, can I ask a potentially naive question? What is cancer? So each of the cells in our body has a role. Um, And, you know, if we think about skin cells, their role is to, you know, do function in the skin. But, you know, equally our um, pancreas has pancreatic cells. So what happens in cancer is these cells acquire the ability to evade the normal control mechanisms that um, keep cells doing their job. And uh, so they grow uncontrollably. They grow often into a mass, like a a tumour. And then they evade things like our normal immune surveillance system, which kills cancerous cells. They can also lose their knowledge that they're a a certain type of cell and needs to stay and function in, in a particular organ. And they acquire the ability to travel, so move out through the blood system or the lymphatic system and set up new cancers in 
other parts of the body, so that's metastasis, so where the cancer is spread from its primary site to another site in the body. And quite often cancers are curable when they're confined to the organ in which they arose, but once they've spread to other parts of the body, they can be quite difficult to both treat, although we're getting better at that, and, um, and certainly quite difficult sometimes to cure. Very interesting. Thank you for that fantastic explanation, Joe. And I think that that's a really great way to set up today's show. Stick with us, listeners, and we'll be talking more to, about Joe's specific research in just a moment. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we are discussing all things cancer genetics. My name is Ella Clapham, and I'm joined by Neve Chapman, along with our expert guest, Joe Dickinson, from the Menzies Institute of Medical Research. So, as mentioned at the very beginning, the Royal Hobart Hospital Research Foundation has funded your study on precision medicine for men with prostate cancer. Can you briefly explain the topic of this study and what gaps in knowledge or questions this study is trying to answer? Okay, well, I'll start by explaining what I mean by precision medicine. So uh, I guess um, in the past, um, healthcare, particularly for cancer, has uh, treated people, you know, as a one-size-fits-all approach to um treatment of certain conditions. So, um, for example, if you're diagnosed with different types of cancer, there's a treat uh, management plan for individuals diagnosed with the different types of cancer that is essentially the same for everybody. The idea with precision medicine, and this is the way healthcare for everybody is going, is that we tailor the approaches to an, to an individual. With regard to genetics, our approach is to tailor the approach to the genetics of the individual. And so that's the inherited genes that they have that predispose them to disease and also the acquired genetic changes that have occurred in this case in the prostate in that individual. And the reason why we're doing that is because certainly um, in cancer and and um, to some extent other diseases, we now have treatments that target those genetic changes. So when we're talking about precision medicine for men with prostate cancer, we're talking about new innovations in our ability to choose treatments that are most likely to work for certain men uh, because of the genetics of their cancer. Now, this study is, is actually about engaging with men who've been diagnosed with prostate cancer about their thoughts and hopes for a delivery of precision medicine for prostate cancer because we are, particularly in prostate cancer, very early in our design of clinical pathways for del delivery of precision medicine. Mm, that definitely leads to my next question how do you foresee this knowledge actually being applied to usual practice will genetic testing be accessible for everyone could it be done for each and every patient that is diagnosed with prostate cancer well this is my dream <laughs> but at the moment uh, uh, for prostate cancer we lag significantly behind some of the other cancers like breast and ovarian cancer where there are government funded tests for uh, individuals that are thought to have a genetic predisposition to breast and ovarian cancer and to some extent colorectal cancer 
But there's very little for prostate cancer, although there's been a couple of tests just recently approved for government funding in April this year. Uh, so my hope is that we will be able to move rapidly um, to improve outcomes for men with prostate cancer. But there are a few hoops, I guess, to jump through um, and some evidence that needs to be gathered that going down this road improves outcomes for men with prostate cancer, but also is a cost-effective um, way in which to manage uh, men with prostate cancer. This actual research project is, is about engaging with men themselves in designing a consumer-driven um, clinical pathway for implementation of um, genetic testing for men with prostate cancer. Um, the reason being is that genetic testing is not probably going to be helpful for everybody. Um, and I guess one of the barriers for prostate cancer is that a lot of prostate cancers are what we call indolent cancers. So they are slow growing, they may or may not present with any clinical symptoms and they occur in older men who are likely to, that their health is not going to be particularly impacted by their prostate cancer and rather there are other health conditions that are more concerning. Uh, the problem is that we can't tell who those men are yet and one of the indicators of men that are going to develop very clinically significant disease that's going to be going to progress is some of the gene you know genetic defects in some of the genes that cause prostate cancer so while genetic testing is probably not going to be helpful for everybody there is the hope that genetic testing will at least enable us to identify those men who have um, clinically significant disease and also be able to uh, triage if you like those that are likely to respond to particular treatment. So what does it look like to be engaging directly with those men so is it like a focus group or an interview or talking to their clinician like their doctors what kind of way are you going about with engaging them so for the royal hobart hospital research foundation study our engagement is through focus groups so one of the things that we have been doing over a number of years is working with the cancer council and speaking at prostate cancer support groups and we talk about our research at prostate cancer support groups and the and the promise of genetic testing and, and those type of things and this time with the funding from the Royal Hobart Hospital Research Foundation, we want to ask men what their hopes are for genetic testing in prostate cancer and how the pathways for implementation of genetic testing should be designed, what their expectations are. And, and it sort of sounds simplistic, but genetic information is quite complex. So for, a, for it's very hard to give a cut and dried answer to a lot of questions that people with a genetic predisposition to disease so they want to know will or will I or won't I get it or will my children develop this cancer or not and it's often these answers are very difficult to provide you can't give definitive answers um, they also want to know how far away therapies are that target those genetic predisposition genes so there's a lot of complex questions um, and there's also you know interesting um, things like 
for example, uh, one of the ph- phenomenon that's been described in um, breast cancer is survivor guilt. So, for example, if you think of a large family of which a, a number of the children carry, for example, uh, one of the common breast cancer genes, so BRCA2 mutations, there are indiv- sometimes there are siblings who, who don't carry the mutations and, and quite often those individuals can suffer from what they call survivor guilt, which is, you know, that they they don't carry the same genetic problems that the rest of their family do. So there's a lot of complex issues surrounding genetics and and people um, have different views about those. And this is about gathering all of that sort of information that that consumers have about how they'd like their conditions to be managed um, and have input into healthcare pathway design, I guess. I think that's really fantastic going back to the people with lived experience and hearing about how they optimally want care to happen and so important. One slightly facetious question to finish this segment on. You touched on a couple of comparisons there with breast cancer and I think genetic screening for breast cancer and ovarian cancer is something the public at large is becoming familiar with because of really high profile cases like Angelina Jolie but also I think there's just generally better awareness of breast cancer because of the breast cancer screening programs and how much that's talked about. Prostate cancer is potentially a little bit less approachable to talk about how much do you think some of that is also community support and driving some of this to look at screening um, more proactively or is that something not super relevant specifically for this cancer um I I do get asked this a lot because I worked I've worked in prostate cancer for a long time and and whether the profile of breast and ovarian cancer has overshadowed you know advances made in other cancers and my my response is I think there have been fantastic advances that have been spearheaded by the dedication and the passion that people have to raise the profile of the health concerns for women around breast and and ovarian cancer. And certainly a lot of the genetics and and certainly, you know, management of people with predisposition to disease such as you know Angelina Jolie um, that has both raised awareness but certainly advanced our knowledge enormously so while I would love prostate cancer to have as sort of high profile I think that had we not had that I guess that spearhead and that and that model to follow, then then I'm not sure that we would be even as advanced as we are. Stick with us, listeners, and we'll be talking more to Jo about her cancer research and what that means and the bigger picture and for the next steps for our communities in just a moment. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. I am Ellie Clapham and I'm joined by Neve Chapman and we are talking about Tasmanian medical research with Joe Dickinson from Menzies Institute for Medical Research. So we've been talking about prostate cancer, but genetic screening and precision medicine are more broad. So how transferable are the concepts and discoveries surrounding your research to other cancer types? So if we're talking about um, delivery of genetic findings back to patients. There's lots of um, overlaps. Um, We need to be a little bit careful about treating all patient groups the same so that one size fits all uh, because 
Uh, we do know that men and women have different views about their healthcare provision and how much they want to know about the um, genetic findings. Um, so I think we need to be a little bit careful about about applying everything in a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, the other thing we need to consider is that the actual genetic finding itself is can, depending on what type of gene it is, can have implications for other um, members of the family, whether they're women or men or children um, or, um, you know, lifestyle decisions or having children in the future. So I think that we need to be mindful of the type of genetic findings we're returning and the type of cancer that we're talking about. So yes, there are some things we can apply across the board, but we need to be careful about how we apply those. I think it's such a salient point that you make, Joe, that we could just say this is widely transferable. You figured out with men with prostate cancer feel about their care in this specific instance in Tasmania and how they feel about genetic screening in that context. But I completely echo what you were saying, that that doesn't mean that applies for other genetic screening types. And it's a whole new emerging field. And we could just replicate this one-size-fits-all approach that isn't serving people very well at the moment, but precision medicine is the exact opposite about that, of yes. that essentially. That's right. And often it doesn't take an enormous amount of change to actually tailor a return of a genetic result to an, an individual, but it does take uh, knowledge of what are the hopes and concerns of the patients um, so that um, the clinician can recognise that that there's this sort of spectrum of individual needs and, and concerns um, and then they can tailor their approach to that individual. Yeah, fantastic. It's really about making it more patient-centred and that can be at any point in the care pathway, really. Definitely, definitely. So your research is largely genetics-focused and genetics are something that to a large extent there is little you can do to change, meaning an individual might not have much control over their own risk of cancer, which could be quite confronting to a lot of people. So what are some major ways in which the increasing knowledge surrounding cancer genetics has improved the outcomes for patients? So that's true. Uh, we don't have a lot of control over um, our genetics. Um, and But I guess... You know, the advantages of knowing um, what the genes are that predispose to uh, a particular condition, whether it's cancer or not, are that that individuals can make lifestyle choices um, about how they can reduce their risk of developing a particular type of disease or reducing factors that exacerbate. And it has been found in the past, um, not necessarily within cancer, but certainly people who understand that they have a genetic predisposition to disease may choose, often choose, for example, not to smoke um, because they feel like they have a, a personal reason, not, you know, a personal predisposition so that they would choose not to do that. Whereas they, without that knowledge, they may not, they may think that, you know, well, uncle so-and-so lived until he was 95 and didn't die of lung cancer even though he smoked for 70 years, you know. And so I guess that there's those factors. There's the other is that genetics or gene-targeted therapies are the a huge focus of big pharma now. 
And so there are some really exciting new therapies that target the genetic defect that happens in cystic fibrosis. So there is this ability to rectify, if you like, or partially rectify the gene function in some of these conditions. And this is really exciting and it's probably, you know, most often or recently most often um, observed in cancers, but it's extended to other conditions too. And I guess this is the thing now is that, yes, you sort of got, you've got, you've sort of dealt this hand with your genetics um, and there's not a lot you can do to change that. But if you actually know what the problem is and there are gene, uh, there are drugs that target it, that, that is super exciting. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think it's such an important point to make that I suppose it comes back to knowledge is power and you can make an informed individual choice then about what you need to do or what you feel comfortable doing um, with that information. But also I love the excitement of the future directions of this whole field. Thanks so much to Joe Dickinson for being an excellent expert guest this week and thank you to my co-host Ellie Clapham for all of your preparation on the show. That's it from us from That's What I Call Science. Do remember you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to keep up with what we're sharing about this mini-series on the Royal Hobart Hospital Research Foundation and medical research from Tasmania. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. This programme was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. Gemmaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information. Wait, do I just say it? This week we are talking with Jo Dickinson about her cancer genetics research and just as a little fun teaser, Jo, I'm going to ask you if you were to get a get out of jail free card for any of your research questions so you could wake up tomorrow and know the answer without doing any work, which research question would you pick? Wow. Um, Oh, there's so many questions I'd love to know the answer to. But in terms of prostate cancer, I'd love to know the I'd love to I'd love to understand what the single genetic factor is that or molecular factor that determines whether a man's disease is going to progress to more severe disease because I think that this would help both men um, who have um, been diagnosed with with what they we think is indolent disease and so doesn't require any intervention um, and also those men who are going to progress to more severe disease and I think this would 
significantly improve um, the um, health and the the um, sort of quality of life of both men with indolent cancers, but also the men with that have severe cancers. So I guess that's my question, my answer. Um, yet. <laughs>